Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. The man in Christ rose again, writes C.S. Lewis. Not only the God. That, Lewis writes, is the whole point. Let me read that quote again because grasping its implication is going to be vital to understanding and to appreciating today's Ascension Sunday sermon. The man in Christ rose again, not only the God. You know, there is so much in the Christian story that is just patently absurd. Don't get me wrong, I believe it all. It's just that I sometimes find myself more aware than other times just how absurd it all really sounds. And I say that because today, by which I mean Ascension Sunday, is indeed one of those times. For what I am about to say in this sermon... That is, what I am about to remind us of concerning Orthodox Christian theology is indeed so fantastical, so outlandish, so utterly preposterous as to sound completely absurd when it is spoken out loud. And yet I nonetheless believe what I'm about to say with every fiber of my being. Okay, to get this going, then, let me tell you two very mundane stories from my own childhood. The first one being this. In the third grade, my teacher, Mrs. Hahn, taught us about the three states of matter. That is, about solid and liquid and gas. And in that lesson, Mrs. Hahn taught us that all matter could and sometimes does convert from one state to another. And then to illustrate this concept for us, Mrs. Hahn presented us with the water cycle, showing us how ice could convert to water and how water could convert to vapor and so on and so forth. Well, I remember being relatively unimpressed by the idea of ice converting to water, for I'd already seen plenty of things melt in my young life. But I also remember being quite awestruck by the idea of water turning into vapor, as I remember were other students in my class. So, like, it could just be there one minute, I remember one student asking, But then, like, it just becomes invisible? To which I remember Mrs. Hahn responding, Yes, it's called evaporation. But it can come back again as a liquid or as a solid. And that's the end of that story. 
absolutely riveting, I know. You're welcome. Meanwhile, here's story number two, which also happens to take place during my third grade year. Now, at this time, mind you, I was eight years old, and my sister Elizabeth, whom some of you have met and with whom I've always been very close, Elizabeth at the time was three. And on the night in question, Elizabeth had cooked up a plan to spend the night in my room on my trundle bed. Well, she and I had been down this road before. We'd tried spend the nights such as these several times, but always she would get scared and would leave no less than 10 minutes into the sleepover. So, on this night, having heard this song before, I pressed her, Are you really going to spend the night? I asked her. And this time she assured me, inasmuch as a three-year-old can ever assure anyone of anything, that yes, indeed, she was going to make it this time through the entire night. So we gave it another shot. Well, after my mom had tucked us both in and had turned off the light, there Elizabeth and I lay in the dark, I in my bed, she a few feet away on the trundle. And then, sure enough, not ten minutes in, she said, I need to go ask mommy something. This was her standard, I'm leaving and not coming back line. To which I said, are you coming back? To which she assured me that yes, indeed she was. And then from there, she shimmied off the trundle, walked to the doorframe separating my room from the rest of the house, and there suspended at the threshold, she turned back to me and said in a sing-song voice that I can still hear to this day, be back in a minute. And all these years later, dear family, I am still waiting. <laughs> and that's the end of that utterly riveting story. And so there you have it. Two entirely mundane stories, both of which will soon become crucial for helping us understand the point of this sermon and the meaning of Jesus' ascension. Turn with me now to the biblical text and listen carefully. As the disciples were watching, Jesus was taken up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while the disciples were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This same Jesus, as the NIV and the KJV have it, this same Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go. Now, 
Now, theologically speaking, this passage from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, this passage depicts that which is called the ascension of Jesus. And today, as I've already said, is the day on the liturgical calendar that we as Christians refer to as Ascension Sunday. Every year this time. And on this Ascension Sunday, here's what I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on these three little words. This same Jesus. Hear it again in its context. Men of Galilee, the angelic messengers say, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This same Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go. This same Jesus. I want you to hold that thought and go back with me another 1,300 years. That is back 1,300 years from the time of Jesus' ascension. In Exodus chapter 32, when Moses ascends Mount Sinai, where he will be entering the direct presence of God, he, Moses, assures the Israelites that he will soon return. But given that things on the mountain do not take place on Moses' timetable, but instead take place on God's timetable, Moses ends up being gone far longer than he or the Israelites ever imagined that he would be. And so, quite understandably, the Israelites grow impatient. And soon enough, they begin to assume that he might not be coming back at all. And so they approach Moses' brother in law Aaron and ask him for an idol that they can worship instead. At which point, Aaron, unsure what to do, takes from the people their golden jewelry, then melds their golden jewelry into a calf looking figure. Then he builds an altar before this calf-looking figure and then says to them, Tomorrow shall be a festival unto the Lord. Through this golden calf we will worship the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. In other words, Aaron is saying to them, Since Moses may in fact not be returning, here is a new and different way for us to worship Yahweh. Okay, back now to Acts chapter 1. Why do you stand gazing up toward heaven, the angelic messengers ask? For this same Jesus who has been taken up will come in the same way that you saw him go. Oh, dear family, that was over 2,000 years ago. And still, we are waiting. Still, we are looking up. 
And why do we, like those earliest disciples, gaze so dumbfoundedly as we do? Why do we feel so uncertain inside as to what to think about this promise? Well, because 2,000 years is an awfully long time. And because the thought of a real live human being simply being removed from human view strikes us as remarkably fantastical, to say the least. And because, more than anything else, it sure feels like if indeed he really were coming back, it would already have happened, right? Right? I get that. On such a deep, deep gut level, I get that. Nonetheless, this sermon is my attempt to explain to us how on this account, given this long delay, given the fantastical nature of the story, this sermon is my attempt to explain first how we have thereby become prone to melding our golden jewelry into a calf-like figure just like the Israelites. Moreover, this sermon is my attempt to explain how Moses going up Mount Sinai and eventually coming back down is a perfect model for us of what the Christian story teaches us Jesus has done and will do himself in the flesh. Which leads me back to those two mundane stories I told you a few moments ago. First of all, we need to understand this. When Jesus withdrew from the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he did not evaporate in that moment. Which is to say, he did not somehow change states. And I want you to follow me here on this point because this part is crucial. Because far too little teaching is done in Christian circles on this aspect of Jesus' nature and identity and on this part of the Jesus narrative. When Jesus, the incarnate God, rose from the dead, the human being rose from the dead too, as C.S. Lewis says, not just the God. The human being Moreover, when the risen human Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not change form as he did. Which is to say, he did not then shrug off his humanity and evaporate back into some form of pure divinity. Which is how we too often think of this moment in the Jesus narrative. No, instead, Orthodox Christian theology teaches that Jesus retained his risen and glorified humanity in his ascension. And Christianity claims he retains this glorified human nature even now. Never took it off that he's still at this very moment in God's heavenly realm, every bit as human as ever he was before. I told you the Christian story sounds Absurd. 
Meanwhile, as to that second story that I told you, the one about my sister standing at the threshold of my room and saying, I'll be back in a minute before withdrawing from my presence, that, at least the mechanics of that movement, that is the way we need to think about the ascension of Jesus, by which I mean this. When my sister stepped through the threshold of that doorframe that night, thereby leaving my room, even though I could no longer see her, I never thought for a second that she had just evaporated, that she had somehow assumed some other form in her departure. No, instead, I knew that this same Elizabeth had simply moved from where I was to some place else, most likely our mother's room. And moreover, I knew that whether she did indeed return to my room that night or not, nonetheless, that she was still the very same person who'd just been with me. That, dear family, is what Orthodox Christian theology claims happened at the ascension of Jesus. That when Jesus withdrew from the disciples, rather than this be a matter of him simply evaporating into some placeless and spaceless form, that instead he stepped through the threshold of one dimension, one realm of created reality into another, into a dimension, into a realm that we in our human limitation can't see and can't touch, mind you, but nonetheless into a dimension and realm that like with my sister withdrawing from my room to another is but a move from one dimension of created reality into another, a dimension in which this same Jesus is even now and a dimension from which this same Jesus, in the fullness of time, like Moses, but unlike my sister, will one day return. This same Jesus. Go ahead, ponder it all. It's a lot. Next week is Pentecost. And on Pentecost, we will talk about how Jesus' ascension makes possible the giving and the spreading abroad of the Holy Spirit. And then from there, we will spend four weeks talking about how Jesus, in the glorified human form that He retains even now, makes intercession for us from this dimension and why this matters. But for today, for this Ascension Sunday... It is important to simply leave us to ponder this absurdity that the man in Christ rose again, not just the God. And moreover, that the man in Christ stepped from this created realm into another. And more even than that, 
that to this very day this man remains in that created realm in the exact same form he was in when he left this one some 2,000 years ago and more even than that that he is coming back one day in this same form to consummate that which he so long ago began and that which he is even now working for and preparing on our behalf. As we sit at the foot of this mountain, dear family, it is easy and quite natural to stare up and say, he isn't coming back. And from there, it is easy then to begin melding the golden promise he made us into a calf of sorts that makes more sense for us to worship. That is, it is easy for us to turn his promise of return into a mere metaphor or symbol to rewrite the story, as it were, into something a little less absurd than it really is, something a little more palatable, a little more respectable. But absurd or not, this is the promise. Absurd or not, this is His promise, and it is a promise that I am persuaded at the depths of my being is true and is worthy of our lives' deepest trust and devotion. The promise that this same Jesus who withdrew from us in this fashion then will indeed come back to us in the same way that we saw Him go. Dear family, let us believe this promise. And let us put down these golden calves that we are prone to making. And let us in faithful humility say, come Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, 